0: Episode 83 dropped in February of 2020, truly another life, and it was all about Meg Cabot's All-American Girl. Having loved that book when I was a tween myself, I couldn't wait to reread it and discuss it. What I didn't know, however, is that Meg Cabot wrote a sequel to All-American Girl. It's called Ready or Not, and it was published in 2005. It picks up Samantha Madison's story about a year after she saves the president's life and becomes a minor celebrity as a result. At the beginning of Ready or Not, Sam is still sorting through life in the public eye, while also navigating standard high school drama and her relationship with boyfriend David, who happens to be the president's son. Things get weird when Sam gets it in her head that David wants to have sex. Really, the guy just wants to play board games, but Sam is convinced that he's speaking in code. She totally spirals. Most of the book is focused on Sam's complicated feelings about whether or not to do it with David. Luckily, her older sister Lucy is around to give her some genuinely good advice about safe sex and the importance of pleasure for all parties. But things get even weirder later on when Sam's connection to the president lands her as the poster child of a conservative political agenda that's all about abstinence-only education and restricting access to contraception for teens. We touch on this briefly in the episode, but I will underscore it again here. It is wild to me that Ready or Not still feels so timely nearly 20 years after it was published. This episode was recorded on April 29th, 2022 shortly before the Supreme Court's draft of a decision that would virtually strike down Roe v. Wade was leaked. You'll hear me refer to birth control access and reproductive rights as a women's issue on this episode, and I want to correct that now. These are matters of human rights that affect all genders, and I am glad that my guests and I were able to have this important conversation on the podcast. On this episode, you will hear us discuss the murky business of likability, especially with teen characters, the not-like-other-girls trope, the models of popularity and femininity we were exposed to in the early aughts, the use of the word slut in Ready or Not, and the unfair pressure I put on Sam as a reader. We also compare notes about the way sex is depicted in the book, exploring sex positivity, the politics of sex, and a more positive spin on intimacy. My guest today is Shauna Robinson. Shauna writes contemporary fiction with humor and heart. Originally from San Diego, she now lives in Virginia. She spends most of her time reading, baking, and figuring out the politest way to avoid social interaction. Must Love Books is Shauna's debut novel, and I would personally recommend it to anyone who has ever wondered what it's like to work in the publishing industry. Follow Shauna on Instagram at shaunarobbs and on Twitter at shauna.robs. I am so thankful to Shauna for joining me on this episode and for being so open with some pretty spicy, sensitive subject matter. If you are loving the show and haven't done so already, it would mean a lot to me if you would leave a five-star rating or review on your listening platform of choice. Podcasters talk about this all the time because it really does help our shows. More positive reviews means more eyes and ears on SSR. It's all about the algorithm. Thanks in advance for taking the time to do this. Thanks also for following along with all of SSR's adventures on social media. Find me at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast. Next week, I will share more details about the new and improved SSR Book Club, which is a free community for fans of the pod who want to talk books, read along with the podcast, and generally make real friends online. Speaking of real friends online, I can honestly say that I have made dozens thanks to the SSR Patreon community. I started Patreon in hopes of generating some support for the pod, which I run independently, but it has given me so much more than that. You can get involved for as little as a dollar per month at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. Patron contributions help me keep SSR going strong, and in return, supporters get access to all kinds of fun rewards. We are currently finishing up our conversation about Black Cake in the Patreon Book Club, and next week we will dive into Emily Henry's People We Meet on Vacation. Come kick off your summer reading with us. Thanks to all of the patrons listening now. As always, I would love to point all of the audiobook lovers in the audience in the direction of Libro FM which is my audiobook platform of choice. It's a great alternative to Audible because it allows you to support independent bookstores instead of a giant corporation. If you have summer road trips coming up and need fun things to listen to, now is a great time to make the switch. The audiobooks you get will sound and cost the same as the ones you buy from the big guys. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use code SSR Podcast when prompted on the site to get a two month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Shauna. Welcome to SSR. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So excited to have you. So listeners, I do want to give a bit of a disclaimer because this is the first time that I'm recording in my new office. We just moved into our new house a couple of days ago. We finally have Wi-Fi, but I do not have all the things on the walls of my office that I think will absorb sound. I don't have the curtains hung up yet. I'm still kind of getting used to the space. So I will do everything I can to make the audio sound crisp and clear and fantastic. But I do want to let you know ahead of time if it sounds echoey, if it sounds a little bit different than what you're used to. I'm working on it. I'm aware of it. But we are still going to have a fantastic conversation today about Meg Cabot's Ready or Not. And this is a sequel to a book called All American Girl, which we covered a couple of years ago on the podcast. And I will link to that book in the show notes. But Shauna, I'm going to kick it over to you. Did you read these books when you were a kid? Why did you want to read Ready or Not for this episode?
1: I read All-American Girl when I was a kid, when it came out. Uh, I think it came out like early 2000s. Yeah,
0: 2005.
1: Yeah, okay. So I I, I definitely read it several times. And I I don't know, I think I, I really identified with Sam and you know, Raging Against the Establishment because that's who I was as a straight-A <laughs> nerd. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> and uh, I, and I just really loved the like the approachable way that All American Girl was written too. It just felt like like Sam was talking to a friend, and that really resonated with me. And Sun When Ready or Not came out, I I was excited because who who doesn't want more more time in in the world that they love? But I ended up only reading it once, like for, for whatever reason, I think All American Girl just had more of, of what what I wanted. It was that introduction to Sam and that that exciting moment of saving the president's life and all the drama that unfolded from there. Whereas Ready for Not, I think it was just a little bit more of a quieter story. So it was really fun to get to read this for the first time in quite a long time and actually have that be my first time rereading this book so when you sent me the list of options and and that was one of them i was very excited just to go back to sam's world and have an excuse to to reread this book because it's all i have to it it is my job basically for this podcast and so it's important (laughs) so i had a really fun time revisiting sam
0: Okay. Well, I'm glad you had fun. And I will say I misspoke before because Ready or Not was published in 2005. So I would assume All-American Girl was probably like 2003 or 2004.
1: Yeah, I think it was 2002.
0: Oh, because you can rem- So I was 12 in 2002. That sounds about right. Because I read All-American Girl probably when I was about 12 or 13. I did not read Ready or Not. I actually was not even aware that Ready or Not was a thing until I was in a book club conversation with a few of our SSR listeners. And I think we are talking about another Meg Cabot book, but the subject of Ready or Not came up and they were briefing me on it and telling me the summary and just kind of getting into the politics of it. And I was like, whoa, like we have to cover this book on the podcast. There's so much here. I cannot believe that I missed it. And maybe I can at the same time because it is such a departure in terms of its politics and its like subject matter from All American Girl and from Meg Cabot's other work. But this was a first for me, which is really exciting because I did get back in touch with Samantha Madison a few years ago when I reread the first book for the podcast. And now I'm getting to know her all over again for the first time with you. So Shauna, I'm very excited that you picked this book. I've been wanting to read it for a long time. I actually want to say that it was brought to my attention initially right around the 2020 election. So I really was like excited about it then.
1: Yeah. Very, I think appropriate time given that this book is a little bit more political.
0: Yeah. And all too timely now in 2022. I mean, it's, it's really upsetting and disturbing to see that a book that discusses certain issues like this one, like continues to be timely year after year after year, specifically issues of, access to health for women, reproductive freedom. I don't really know when there will be a time that those issues are not timely. I hope that there will someday someday be a time when it doesn't feel so pertinent to the public discourse, but that's where we are in 2022 And uh yeah, I was like really, really in it because of uh, what's happening in the news right now. but let's talk about Sam before we get into the issues with a capital I. in this book, Samantha Madison is almost 17. She is now a year out from her heroic feat of saving the president's life in a record shop. She has become something of a celebrity. A movie has been made about her life. She's a United Nations teen ambassador, although we don't really know what that means at the beginning of the book. She is dating the president's son, David. She, as you said, Shauna, is still kind of like raging against the establishment. She's dyed her red hair black because she doesn't want to be recognized. She has her perfect older sister, Lucy, and her brainiac younger sister, Rebecca. That's where we find her. What was it like for you to reconnect with Sam as an adult? I know you said you felt very connected to her when you were a teenager. Was the experience similar this time around?
1: I think I kind of just had to get back into my own mindset as a teenager then, like when Sam um, you know at one point after she dyes her hair black she is a little upset when her sister compares her to Ashley Simpson it sounds like no like I am not Ashley Simpson like finding that really offensive and you know as an adult now I'm like well, you know Ashley Simpson she was fine uh, yeah. but I, I can understand being at, as a teenager then I while reading the book I was probably like oh my gosh how embarrassing that she thought that that she looked like Ashley Simpson and so I think I definitely didn't have those same knee jerk reactions to certain things that, that that Sam did now as in adult. But I think re- reading it as a teenager, I, I definitely agreed <laughs> with a lot of Sam's pop culture assessments, although there were there were some pop culture references that were maybe a little bit tragic. Like There, there was like some comments about Brittany Murphy, because uh, Sam's working in a, a video store now. And so she was, I think, making a comment about people checking out Brittany Murphy's uh, movies and how they weren't great and making a comment about her body. And it's like, oh, maybe maybe we don't do that.
0: Yeah, if we could strike that from the record, Meg Cabot, I don't think that would be the worst thing. That made me feel a little uncomfortable too. I think Sam's a really cool character. And I think that as always, Meg Cabot's ability to develop a unique, special, fresh voice for her is just like one of a kind. This is really Meg Cabot's specialty. She did it with Mia Thermopolis. She's doing it again here with Samantha Madison. We have these lists that Sam writes it really does feel like you're talking to a high schooler. And I think that it feels that way in good and bad ways. Yeah. (laughs) Which is an interesting experience because I, of course, when reading a protagonist like this as a teenager would have been like, yes, yes, agree, totally. The way she sees the world is 100% correct. Everybody's out to get her. Nobody understands her. Yes, yes, yes. And I think now as an adult, I read her perspective and I find her so funny and observant and I love the way she sees the world in a way that feels like very true to the way that I saw the world as a teenager. And at the same time, I can't help but be offended and annoyed by a lot of her takes and quite frankly, a lot of her privilege. And so I think the last time we talked about Sam I hate to say it, but I do think we had like a long conversation about like the question of likability. And that is such a weird, charged word, I think, in fiction and in life. And so I'm I'm trying to resist the urge to ask you, like, did you find Sam likable? Because that's not really the point. Humans are not meant to be likable or unlikable. We're all very complicated and nuanced. I think I'm maybe maturing in my reading of Sam now between these two books and realizing that like she just feels very adolescent and that makes me feel old as a 31-year-old because i'm like yes everything is is accurate to the experience of a 17-year-old and that means i really liked her in moments and there were other moments that i really struggled with her does that resonate with you at all
1: yeah and i i like i feel like i found sam likable and all but all and also like humans are meant to be likable characters also like the best characters are, are unlikable as well. But I think just knowing she she's a teenager, she they, they do kind of feel like things are very dramatic. They do have opinions that they may look back on and think, wow, I was maybe being a little bit self-involved here. So just with all of that in mind, knowing those things under those constraints, I think Sam was likable and realistic at the same time? Like, could she be more likable and a little bit more accepting of people who are different from her? From the outset, we do see her growth throughout the book. Uh, yes. But I, I think this was a, a pretty realistic depiction of, of what a teenager was like, especially in 2005.
0: Yes. And to be fair, could I be more likable in my life? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could be more likable in my life. And- same. I think you made it, you make a good point that like, she is both realistic and not necessarily likable at all times. And I don't think that those two things could exist at once. Like she wouldn't be realistic if she was likable in every moment and she is flawed. And I think she does grow to become a little bit more self-aware and self-critical, which I always enjoy in a character journey. I did want to talk about a couple of like key elements of Sam's character that were interesting to me. So the first is this not like other girls trope. And I love talking about not like other girls. It brings me so much joy. I feel like people have such strong feelings about it. It's not something that I really gave much thought to until I started the podcast, but I did want to draw your attention, Shauna and listeners to the first line of the book, the literal first line. So this is is our entry point to Sam. The very first sentence, In spite of the fact that last year, I saved the life of the President of the United States, got a medal for heroism, and had a movie made about me, I continued to be one of the least popular people in my entire school, which is supposed to be a progressive and highly rated institution, but which seems to be entirely populated with the exception of myself and my best friend Catherine, by Abercrombie and Fitch wearing zero tolerance for anyone who might actually have a different opinion than their own, or actually any opinion at all, Blithely school song chanting, reality TV show watching, neo fascists. Discuss. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like like reading that, I was like, oh okay. We we, we are generalizing and we we think we are better than, right. than everyone else at we our school. It. But at the same time, like I remember thinking like, I feel like that's, that was what all the media was, was telling us was, was you don't want to be like a typical girly girl, you want to be not like other girls. And so I had that mindset, too, as, as, as a teenager, where, where you think, some for whatever reason, being the stereotypical girl who enjoys the girly things is bad, which, you know, now that we have thought about it some more and have grown, it's like, no, that that's just straight up misogyny. But at the time... That that was, I think, the attitude. Where if I read that as a teenager, I probably wouldn't bat an eye. I would just think, "You you go, Sam," which which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating to me because I think I had the same experience. And as we're having this conversation, and I think back on the girls in my high school, in my community when I was growing up, who fell into that category of like the Abercrombie and Fitch, J Crew. This, like, very stereotypical popular girl. Like, what media were they watching? <laughs> because I feel like everything, like you said, Shauna, that I was reading, everything that I was watching was telling me that, like, it was cooler to not be that way. So I'm like, I don't, like, somebody's not getting the memo, or maybe, maybe those, maybe, here's theory maybe those girls were the real revolutionaries because they were consuming the same media and they were like, you know what, we're still going to do what we want to do. I don't know. This might be controversial. Just a thought.
1: I mean, I think of the hero of Ready or Not is actually Lucy, who really embodies that that exact attitude. She likes these girly things, but she has strong opinions and she's not afraid to step outside the box In having this crush on her tutor and pursuing his interests and and watching hellboy and being a lot more open-minded than we saw her in the first book so i think lucy was a really good basically a good stands in opposition to that sentence that you just read about how all these people are followers and lemmings and and just terrible because they're girly and then you have lucy who is all of those girly things but so much more
0: So much more. She has a lot of substance in spite of maybe Sam's initial judgments about her or people who are like, quote, like her. Um, I think that's a great point. Lucy is a hero. And I want to talk more about her as we get into the, the story a little bit further. The other sort of unique twist on Sam that I wanted to make sure we talked about is this very specific kind of public eye. That she is living in and it actually felt very 2022 to me because in the years since she's become something of a national hero after saving the president's life sam has obviously attracted a bit of a following and in 2005 it's not like she had an instagram or twitter or even a facebook maybe she had a myspace but like (laughs) how much could you really accomplish on myspace even without those things it still felt to me like she was on the verge of like influencing, like people cared about what she wore. She was very concerned with her reputation because she had to be like, she knew that people were paying attention to her when she was out in the world. And I think this book raises some interesting questions about the line between public and private life, especially as it relates to teenagers who are maybe not quite mature enough to like navigate that very blurry line that I'm not sure that I would have read the same way in 2005 even as an adult like i think knowing how far we've come in terms of our like relationship with social media and how much that's changed like i can't help but read this book and read about Sam's experience substantially differently
1: yeah like she had a platform and she was aware of that platform and that wasn't something i think i was thinking about much when when i read the book like i saw the reference to her saying there's a movie made about her and i was like oh haha but i don't think i was really thinking about like the consequences of what that means, especially as a teenager to have all these eyes on you. But yeah, and it's also something that feels so much more common now with a lot of social media influencers being very, very young. Some of them are teenagers. Yeah, I, I agree with, with, with you about that being a lot more current in 2022.
0: Yeah, I also found myself thinking about the fact that like Sam never wanted any of this. Like she... In the moment, saw what was happening with this assassination attempt on the president, and she fully did the right thing. Like she responded in a way that, like, I don't know that I would have been brave enough to respond. But as I was reading "Ready or Not" and thinking about the politics of it, I had moments where I was like a little bit frustrated with Sam and the way that she was responding to those politics. But then I had to stop myself because, to be fair, I don't think Sam ever wanted anybody to think that she was trying to be political. Like this was never about having a platform for her. It was never about getting into some sort of a relationship with the president so that she could affect change. Like she was in the right place at the right or the wrong time, depending on how you think of it. And it skyrocketed her into a different life than the one she had before. I think now it's very easy with the kinds of platforms that a lot of teenagers have to assume that like anybody in her position got there because they wanted to make some sort of an impact or because they have certain causes that they want to champion. Um, Because I think that now, like there is a pressure on kids to do that if they have a platform, which is great to an extent, but Sam was never asking for that responsibility. And so for me as a reader to expect her to have a certain kind of response to it does seem unfair.
1: Yeah, I feel like there's a kind of a similar attitude towards that, that rise to popularity in The Princess Diaries, too. Like, I, I specifically remember that Mia, at one point, referencing, although in this case it was a real-life movie that was made of her, um, and not loving all of, all of that attention. And I, so I think that's something that has been, been present in a couple of Mike Cabot's works now. But that, I think, feels very, very real to me as someone who is very shy and would also be horrified to have that platform.
0: Yeah. And I, it actually makes me think of, of a conversation that I think a lot of people are having now, which is the pressure that so many people just by virtue of being like online, even in the most general sense, feel to have a comment on everything and have a take on every single issue. And again, I think like as a reader, if I'm being self-aware about it, I wanted Sam as this public, Sort of politicized figure to have a take and have like, a certain kind of educated take about everything that happened in the book. And she never sought that out, nor is she necessarily, like informed or prepared enough to do that. so i I do think that I was checking myself while I was reading,
1: yeah, yeah. i, I don't I don't think that I had that thought as much, but that that definitely makes sense,
0: yeah. I'm putting twenty twenty two expectations on her, and that's just not fair, especially for somebody who didn't ask for it. So, Let's talk about Sam's relationship with David and the hilarity of the life drawing class they attend. And then the hilarity of the misunderstanding that kicks off this entire book. So life drawing class. (laughs) David and Sam have been invited to attend a life drawing class by their art teacher, Susan Boone. And Sam's super excited because this is not an invitation that is extended to most teenagers. And it's because she's so talented. And she's like, great, we're going to go. We're going to learn how to draw life. And, you know, of course, I, I maybe as a teenager too, but like we know what's going to happen. We know she's going to get there and there's going to be a naked person there. And she's probably going to freak out. I think what I love the most about this is that Sam throughout the book is trying so hard to be mature. And I do think she's pretty mature. Like I think she is like a pretty grown up 17 in a lot of ways, partially because of everything that she's been through in the public eye but like put a naked body in front of her. And it's like, no, I am a child. And it was a nice reminder that like, at 17, you're still a kid. And no matter how tough you try to be, and no matter how too cool for school you are, like, you're still going to get flustered in certain situations.
1: Yeah, that that was a great moment of comedy. And then also seeing her both be very flustered, but then try to act like she's not flustered by acting like it's no big deal. And then telling David afterwards, like, oh, you know, I've, I've seen bigger. And then just being horrified as soon as she said that, like, why, why did I say that? And then David's reaction of what you, you have and, and everything that can, can go from there. So it was funny both in the moment and seeing her try to act more mature than she actually is and, and watching that backfire because she is just, just a teenager and all of this is normal.
0: Yeah, I think that she, like a lot of teenagers, thinks that she's like seen it all, done it all is so experienced but she's also very sheltered in a number of ways and we see that contrast i think throughout this book and certainly in that moment where like nope she is not prepared for this and she's going to play it cool as much as she can but it's a it's an awkward moment for her and i and i re- <laughs> i related to that i don't think i would have handled that in in a cooler way at all so then we have the big misunderstanding with David. And one of the reviews I read about this book, which I will link to in the show notes, talks about how the book almost feels like a sitcom. And I actually agree based on this plot point alone, which is that Sam is invited by David to go to Camp David with the presidential family for Thanksgiving, which like, first of all, this seems like a very big deal. I mean, I I don't know that Many people in relationships in high school are like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm sheltered. Maybe I'm betraying my own sheltered experience. But it seemed to me like kind of hard to believe. And it's fine. We needed it for the narrative. It seemed kind of hard to believe that like David would just be like, Yeah, sure, come to Camp David with me for Thanksgiving. My parents don't mind. Your parents won't mind. And none of the parents do mind. Like there was no question if any of the parents would be okay with this. And I was like, mm, I'm not sure that that would have happened in real life.
1: Yeah, that feels more more like a, a college thing or like a early like 20s first adult relationship kind of thing. I was also surprised when when her parents were just like, yeah, it's fine, whatever.
0: Yeah, because I can see eventually maybe winning that argument, but. I I think you would have to fight it out a little bit. Like I think most parents would be like, "Mm, this feels inappropriate. Also, we would like to spend Thanksgiving with you, but they're fine with it. But Sam is not so sure. And this is why. She thinks that David is using the game Parcheesi as a euphemism for having sex. He says that he would love to have her to Camp David. They can play games. They can play Parcheesi. And for whatever reason, we don't really know why, Sam decides that this must mean that he's ready to do it with a capital D and a capital I. And I did think this was funny. And it was funny that it kept going throughout the whole book. I mean, 80% of the book, I want to say, like, she is operating under the assumption that David wants to have sex with her, and he's using the word Parcheesi to make that known. I mean, there were moments when I was like, okay, I think it's going on a little long, but... I thought it was funny
1: yeah um I definitely remember like loving this plot point at when I read it as a teenager I think like I had never heard of percheesy. I didn't know what it was but I also think it's just such a funny word and and like I, I can imagine maybe Meg Cabot like going down a list of games and like which one sounds the funniest and then settling on percheesy. and I feel like that was absolutely the right call but like I remember being in school and telling my friend about this plot point and saying like, oh, um, she, he, he says they can play Parcheesi on their overnight trip. And she thinks that means sex. And isn't that hilarious? Isn't the word Parcheesi just the best thing you've ever heard? And I, I knew what to expect going in this time, but it it was still funny to read. But I do think it went like a little bit too long. I, I think we maybe spent too much time with just Sam like ignoring David's calls and keeping him in the dark and it it can be frustrating as the reader when you just want to like grab the main character by their shoulders and say no it's just this it's just a simple misunderstanding and so I think I would have loved if it had gotten cleared up a little bit earlier but I I feel like that's often the case in, in book conflicts where if everything is resolved then you have no conflict but I wonder if there was something that could have been done there to lessen the timeline of the Parcheesi misunderstanding just a bit.
0: He literally wants to play a board game with you, Sam. (laughs) That's all. That's the whole thing. Because I I do agree with you. I think it really started to grate on my nerves when it was interfering with her ability to have a relationship with David in a sort of like typical day-to-day sense. Um, Again, I know we bristle up the word likable, but I think if there were moments when I felt like Sam was leaning more unlikable or bratty, it it was those moments when she was like actively avoiding David, not answering his calls, blowing him off because she was so uncomfortable about this like request or suggestion that he had never actually made. That part I do think went on a little long. And then there was a moment where she kind of got like a little victim-y about it And I actually wrote it down because I thought it was interesting. She's spending all of this time avoiding David. Um, And then in one of the lists that she writes, um, again, she's the one who's not treating David nicely. She writes, and the number one thing to do in detention at Adam's Prep, one, wonder if your boyfriend even likes you anymore after the way you've been treating him and worry that he may come to his senses and realize he could easily get a girlfriend who is much less of a head case than you. Number one, the phrase head case, not into it uh number two why don't you just treat him better
1: that that was though it was frustrating every time she mentioned like oh david always calls like first thing in the morning last thing at night and i've just been ignoring his calls like I, I understand her mindset to the extent that she she it feels very real to her she feels like sex is on the table and she doesn't know how how to approach it she's uh, afraid to come out with telling him all of her her complicated feelings about that but because the reader knows that that's not actually the case, and because we're just seeing her blow him off over and over again, it, it gets frustrating. And, and when I read that, that part that you just read out loud, i was just like, yeah, yeah, Sam, I'm, I'm kind of wondering the same thing.
0: Right. And now you're sitting in detention, acting as though he's going to be unfaithful to you. You're a victim of your own bratty behavior. Come on, just turn it around talk to him. And I yeah, I was like, Okay, I think it's enough. That's when it went a little far for me. We spoke briefly about Lucy. And I think now is a good time to bring her back. Because Sam does go to Lucy when the supposed question of sex comes up, even though that question never came up. And I have to say that Lucy gave her a lot of really good information, like very clear, very balanced, very like straightforward information about what to expect. And she also gave her some like really good advice about how to protect herself. And not only does she give her that advice, but she goes and she buys things for Sam to use. Should she decide to have sex, she buys her condoms and also spermicidal foam, I think, which is not something that like I've heard discussed since maybe middle school health class, which was a throwback. Um, But she like goes and buys the things that Sam needs. And she gives her all of the information that she could need to have, a safe, positive experience. And I loved that. Like, I thought that was a really cool big sister moment.
1: Yeah, it it was another reason why Lucy is the MVP of this book. Um, It also felt like Meg Cabot just kind of saying to readers like, hey, if you are interested in sex, here's some important things to keep in mind about protection, which I'm sure was helpful to a lot of readers who maybe didn't have access to that kind of education. So that was really great. And also yeah on the on the note of the the spermicidal foam. I had never heard of like my my only knowledge of spermicidal foam is what was mentioned in this book. And like I kind of wanted to like, google it like is this still a thing? Like I have never heard of this, but I, I feel like I didn't want that in my history.
0: Yeah, I feel like it is a thing that my health teacher in the early to mid-aughts mentioned, but even then was like this isn't really like something that you're going to find easily. Like Don't worry about that as like your number one or number two forms of contraception. I don't think I've ever seen it at a store. I don't know where one would get it, but it is mentioned in this book. Maybe, maybe Meg Cabot's editor was like, you need to cover all your bases just in case. Later on in the book, Lucy gives her some other advice and she talks about, and we're going to get spicy listeners. Things are going to get a little spicy. She Essentially, introduces Sam to the idea of masturbation. And what I think is more important than the specificity of the masturbation is the fact that she explains to Sam that Sam is responsible and should feel responsible for making sex enjoyable. And that it is Lucy's understanding that boys and men do not know what they're doing and do not know how to or care to make sex fun or pleasurable for their female partners. We are being very heteronormative here. We are being very binary in terms of gender. We are talking about penetrative sex. And I know that that does not capture everybody's experience. This is what is discussed in the book. And I thought that it was like kind of badass that Lucy is giving her this advice. I do think it plays into some societal assumptions that I'm not crazy about there were a couple of moments of like oh well like boys only want sex and like boys don't care about making their partner feel good I think that's probably true in a lot of cases I think unfortunately it reinforces that when readers see it in a book but on the flip side it was really cool to think that young readers would get this advice from a big sister character who's saying no, no, like this is supposed to be fun for you. And here are some tips so that you can actually make that happen. I don't think anybody was telling me that when I was a teenager.
1: Yeah, that, that felt very think for, forward thinking. And the fact that we also see Sam kind of take that advice and explore it and kind of have like a different or a more nuanced attitude about sex as a result, because I think she mentions at one point, like you know, I I, I practice that shoving my business under the the bathtub faucet thing, and it really worked. Yeah. Um, and so then we see her being like you know maybe sex isn't that bad, and I I think so often sex, especially in like YA novels and and shows for for teenagers, sex is portrayed as this really bad scary thing and everything will change and it has all these consequences. And a lot of that is true, but there is also certain reasons why kids may, may, may want to try it out. And actually seeing Sam, especially as a, a, a teenage girl who we're often, I think, we're seeing a lot of teenage boys who are being the ones who want to pursue sex because of the pleasure, while 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 girls stereotypically don't. Seeing Sam actually be interested in that, I think, would probably make a lot of other girls feel like it's okay to have those feelings and to have those thoughts about sex, and it's okay to, to explore.
0: Yeah, and she does. <laughs> what Lucy is exploring. Yeah, and I, I, oh, there, I have so many things to say in response to that. So I think one thing that's coming up for me is that, like you said, Shauna, there is this tendency in pop culture and literature intended for teenagers. And I do think this is changing a little bit, but I think there's this tendency to make the act of sex what is most sort of significant about that moment, like the physical act of having sex, like that's the big thing. I think what this book does that, that was really interesting to me is it makes the decision to have sex the most important thing that is what is the marker of maturity rather than having penetrative sex and losing your virginity in that very specific kind of way it flips that narrative or it did for me at least like by the end of the book i was like this was never about whether or not sam and david were going to like do it in this very particular way it was always about what decision sam was going to make And how she was going to get there and how she was going to feel about it after, which I think is really cool and important because I've had enough conversations with grown women and, and over wine who've said like, it it wasn't like the thing wasn't the thing that was a big deal. Like it actually was sort of anticlimactic it's getting there that really I think is the marker of maturity for a lot of people. And I like that. That's what we got in this book. We don't get a sex scene. We don't even get any details about what happens. We just get Sam telling her sister that she jumped David's bones. So it's not about the sex. It's about how Sam decided to get there. And I I hope that that's the direction that we're moving in as a society, because I think that like, as we're learning, like there are so many ways to be intimate with a person penetrative sex has always been put on a pedestal in this very particular way, but that's not the only thing that like teenagers are doing or that teenagers are interested in. So I think we have to take our focus off like that specific physical act and instead the focus and like that big learning moment has to be on how you make the decision, making it a consensual, safe, positive experience for everyone involved, and then processing it in a way that feels healthy. I don't know, maybe that's offensive to people, but I really was like feeling excited about that shift as I was reading this book.
1: Yeah. And I also loved. Being in that moment where sam is making that decision and how for all the agonizing she did throughout the book when she's at, at camp david and she storms to david's bedroom being like why aren't you coming to play part cheesy with me um and she had worked it up in her mind that she was going to say no and she didn't feel ready but then as she's standing there talking to him she just suddenly like feels like she wants to and it wasn't like anything that was long or drawn out in that moment she was just like I feel like this is what I want to do. And then afterwards, when she's talking to Lucy about it, she still feels very sure about that decision and very positive about it. And that was also, I think, a really nice way to portray that. Because in that moment, it's not long and drawn out. It's just her thinking, this is something I want to do and doing it.
0: Yeah. And doing it safely and consensually and after putting plenty of thought into it, which I think those are all green flags as far as I'm concerned. The other thing that I wanted to mention based on what you were saying before, Shauna, is this question of sex positivity, um, which I think is a phrase that we throw around a lot more now. And I think there are a lot of sex positive moments in this book, especially toward the end where, yeah, we're seeing Meg Cabot portray sex as a fun, positive, safe thing for everyone involved. The fact that Sam is excited to try it after she follows Lucy's advice, the fact that she reflects on it and is basically like, yeah, it was a good time. Like I had fun, it felt good, great. Rather than leaning into like the more traumatic, scary elements. And at the same time, I think like the political aspects of this book, it also made sex feel so charged in a way that complicated the question of sex positivity for me. I believe that Meg Cabot like fully intended this to be a sex positive book, um, but there were moments of it where I felt like the politics may have muddied the waters for teen readers at times.
1: Interesting. Can you say more
0: about that? I can try. I want to give teen readers a lot of credit that they can process all sides of this debate that are happening in this book about having sex before you're married, having sex before you're ready. And we'll talk more about the politics shortly, but I don't So I probably would have read this book I didn't read it, but I was 15 when it came out. I think if it had come out when I was 12 or 13, I probably would have read it when I was 12 or 13. And I think I was a pretty mature kid. That doesn't necessarily mean that I was attuned to what it means to participate in a political debate. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I would have been prepared to unpack what all of that means or what all of that looks like in the real world. And so I can read this book now as an adult and feel like I have a pretty good understanding of like the agendas that are at play with these politicians. And I of course can sort of determine fairly easily, like who I would be voting for or not voting for. And, and that makes it easier for me to wade through it. I am also 31 and I have voted in my share of elections and I'm pretty clear on my opinions about these things. I think that there is so much information in this book about the politics of access to birth control about the politics, which it shouldn't be politics, but like the politics of premarital sex that I just, I worry that for some teens who aren't well versed in like some of the political aspects of this, like maybe the sex positivity could get lost a little bit. Um, I don't know if that adds any clarity, but that's kind of what I was worrying about as I read.
1: I, I can see that. Like, I don't remember when I was reading this as as a teenager, because I would have been 15 too. I don't remember much about the the politics side like when I was reading the book itself I remembered as, as an adult and revisiting it I remembered all the cheesy stuff I remembered Lucy and Sam having these conversations about sex and masturbation but I f- completely forgot about the politics so I, I don't know if that was because uh, when I was reading it as a teenager that didn't resonate with me or didn't interest me as much but reading it as an adult I I felt like it all kind of worked for me um, like when we have that scene where Lucy brings back, she she you know she goes to the drugstore and she buys the condoms and the mysterious spermicidal foam for Sam. Then that kind of, to me, felt like an example of this is what you can do if, if teenagers have access to birth control. And then once Sam is involved in that, I don't even, televised event with the president, um, <laughs>
0: whatever that, will, and MTV. It's an MTV town hall, which feels very 2005.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then when the president is talking about ensuring that kids don't have access to birth control or or alerting their parents if they try to get access to birth control then I think I was able to apply that to um what had just happened earlier and be like okay well if this were implemented then we we do see how that would affect kids like Lucy would not have been able to get that protection, and so kids might be having unprotected sex but yeah it's definitely not like a, a perfect fit and I can see especially with Chris Parks and her The Right Way group that was all about slut-shaming people and, and promoting abstinence, how that could have shown a lot of the negative aspects as well and, and taken away from the sex positivity.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe what I'm reacting to is just this this notion of sex being so loaded and so charged. And in that way, to me, it feels inherently less sex positive because I think people tend to shy away from things that feel loaded and charged. But maybe that's my own my own stuff coming up. Chris Parks, yes, is the founder of this right way group, uh, fans of One Tree Hill. It's basically like the clean teens at this school. Um, and Chris Parks is just kind of terrible. She slut shames everybody. But she's very excited to find out that the president is coming to do this town hall at their school because of Sam's role as a hero. She's, in theory, a teen ambassador to the UN. And so she'll be hosting this town hall along with the president, along with this DJ or this VJ named Random Alvarez, I think. And this is the place where the president has decided to roll out his return to family program. And I was like, yes, this feels like it was written in the Bush era. Like it feels very George W. Bush. And I think it it was really fascinating to me that like, Sam doesn't know what questions to ask because again, like she never, I think this is where I found myself judging her. And then I had to check myself because I was like, it's weird to me that she didn't ask more questions about this program that she is now having to be part of, but she never wanted to be in politics. She was not somebody who was informed about politics. Like she probably wouldn't know what questions to ask, but it turns out that during this town hall, The president is not just talking about like spending more time together as a family, which is how it starts. He ends up introducing like all of this other language about sex, which I did jot down and I can share it. He says after a whole lot of other stuff about like just the importance of spending quality time with family, children whose parents spend even as little as a few hours a month talking with them develop cognitive skills such as language and reading more quickly test higher, and experience fewer instances of alcohol and drug abuse and premarital sex. I'm asking state legislators, as part of the return to family plan, to pass a bill that requires teens seeking prescription contraception at family planning clinics, to have parental consent, or to have clinics notify parents five business days in advance of providing such services to teens. Oh, yikes. Um, And so Sam raises an eyebrow at this appropriately especially because she's just had this whole conversation with David who explains to her why just say no programs don't work. So we now have David's father being like no, we love just say no programs. Like just say no programs forever. David has just like given her the statistics to show that this kind of abstinence only education just like doesn't work. Um and so she is like mm, why were people clapping? Didn't they understand what David's dad was saying? And why had none of this stuff been in the literature the White House press secretary had given me? And they go back and forth on stage for a while. Sam just continues to question him. um, and, And he says, I understand your concerns, Samantha, but I'm not talking about families such as those you and your fellow pupils here at this fine school belong to. I'm talking about families who haven't had the advantages yours have had. So then we have some uh, racism and classism coming into play uh, where the president is really being like, oh, no, like, I know that you'll be fine. I'm not worried about you. Um, And this leads Sam to to say, and I, I felt like she, I mean, she got really upset that she said this, but she said, so because I've said yes to sex, that makes me a bad example to this nation. Is that what you're saying? So she freaks out because she's like, oh my gosh, I just revealed that I have said yes to sex, which I guess she did say. It felt I'm like, I feel like we could have finessed that language a little bit because yeah. she hasn't really said yes to sex. Like she said yes to cheesy, but not even <laughs> really that. She's like, "I'm maybe I'm going to go play Parcheesi with you at Camp David. I wonder if there is a way to like massage that a little bit more, but it is still mortifying because not only has she said this on national television, she said it in front of the president who happens to be her boyfriend's dad.
1: Yeah. I I also wondered at the language. I was like did did it have to be because I've said yes to sex like yeah. I know that that's the most dramatic result and it would not have the same impact if she had said if I said yes to sex, but it just in the moment it was one of those things that kind of made me pause a little bit. But yeah, and I also just pacing-wise, like this happened cuz I was reading this on um the e-reader. This happened at 70% of the way into the book and this felt like the first time anything was happening because we spent so much of the time before just in Sam's head with the Parcheesi debate. And so I also would have loved if we had seen this a little bit earlier, like maybe in the middle of the book or something, so that we, we could could see how this kind of un- unraveled a little bit more, both in on, on the national level and, and with, the, with the president and his family and the optics of that, and maybe had some more interaction with Chris Parks in the right way, um, folks, because the impact did feel a little bit short because this happened a bit later in the book but yeah that was definitely an impactful moment it was my first moment reading the book we're like oh my goodness i can't wait to see what happens next and i'm not completely positive about how it how it all went down but over overall it was very impactful and i definitely agree with you with what you were saying about how the president his speech was very targeted using certain language that was was without saying like you are all fine. And this is really for other families who don't belong to this well-off prep school in DC. So I I don't know if I had quite picked up on that coded language when I was reading it as a teenager, but like now that was definitely very easy to see is that that is typical politician speak.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and the reaction from Chris Parks is, it's a little, I thought it was overplayed maybe a little bit, Basically, like Chris Parks tells Sam that she's a slut again. And there's this moment where like Lucy comes in and tries to defend Sam and she does so successfully. And one thing leads to another and soon the entire school is chanting, I am a slut, I am a slut, I am a slut. It felt very mean girls to me of like, here we are, you know, we're we're taking back this term, we're weaponizing it for our own empowerment. I liked it, I guess. I think like we're at a point now in 2022 where I just, I would like, I don't think we need to use the word at all. And so in some ways it felt to me like we were like making light of a word that is used to like really hurt people, especially in high school. But maybe I'm just being overly sensitive. I'm aware that I can be that way sometimes in reading these books.
1: I I was of two minds of that. And one, I think it was way ahead of its time because in 2005 and way on, I think, into even like the early 2010s, calling someone a slut was an insult. And that was a huge term that people used to to tear down women, especially. And so having this book in 2005 that was kind of taking back that term and being anti-slut shamey, I think was amazing and ahead of its time. Um, I see what you mean about, maybe we don't use that term at all. Maybe <laughs> um, no one calls anyone a slut. And there was also a moment where, that, uh, that I felt kind of undid all the the, the progress that I think this, this slut scene had had made because Sam makes a joke about how it's, you know, it's not cool to call people sluts except Britney Spears because obviously. And I was like, well, I mean, so you're still kind of, you, you just made this really amazing point and now you're kind of going back on that for the sake of like a, a joke that, it was just a one-off joke that could have not been in the book at all and wouldn't have changed anything. So,
0: Right. Was it worth it? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I
1: didn't love that. Overall, I loved the message, but I th- I think there were a couple ways that could have been executed a little bit better.
0: Yeah. Listeners know that I am not fond of the thing that often happens in YA books, and I, I haven't quite figured out a way to express it succinctly yet, but it's basically this idea that like, it's okay for nice girls to be mean as long as they're doing it to mean- girls. And I think in this, in this book, you can see it as like, it's okay for a girl like Sam to like slut shame other women, as long as she perceives them to fall within her definition of a slut. And in this case, like she's doing that to Britney Spears. I hate that. It's hypocritical. It's gross. I don't think it's a good model for young readers. It's something that I think a lot of us did and probably continue to do as young people. Like it's okay for me to be judgmental of the popular kids because like, I'm nice, and they're bad. But ultimately, like, we should just try not to do that at all. On the whole, Shauna, what was this experience like of coming back to Ready or Not? Did it meet your expectations? Did it hold up?
1: Um, So I think my expectations were a little bit lower going in anyway, because I knew this wasn't a favorite after I read it. I, I only read it that one time. And so I was kind of going into it with kind of like a mixed bag like I know there's the Parcheesi misunderstanding I know that I was a little frustrated of the the plot and the pacing in some of those elements which was why I never revisited it but it was it was really fun and I think overall if I had to like go the the binary approach I think overall I think it held up because the primarily because that slot narrative and that message was very ahead of its time in that it was saying, for the most part, it's 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 not wrong um, or it's not bad to want to have sex, and it's you can't just call someone a slut to insult them because what what is that even really saying? Let's unpack that. Um, but you know, I, I I would have loved to see m- more of that and more more nuanced conversation around that. But I think because of that message and because of the the sex positivity, I will say that overall, it held up.
0: Good. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you for jumping into this one with me. This is like, this is a juicy one to talk to, uh, to talk about with somebody that you've literally only met that afternoon (laughs) and through screen. So thank you for being open to this conversation. What else have you been reading lately, Shauna, that you would recommend to our listeners?
1: Well, so I haven't been reading much YA lately, but this is a, a good reminder of just how much fun YA is. Like I read this all in one day on on a Saturday, which is such a great way to spend the afternoon. So I am definitely going to be checking out more YA because it's just so, so much fun.
0: Yeah. You can recommend adult books too. Anything that you've been loving is good.
1: Yeah. So the book I'm reading right now is Commonwealth by Ann Patchett.
0: That's one of my favorites. I love that book so much.
1: Oh my God. It, it just... So I bought a bag of oranges because of that book. Because there's all this talk of uh, being in California and orange trees and, and and squeezing the oranges, and I was like looking at citrus reamers o- online last night. So that is um, so far. It's it, it's it's a I'm like halfway through it, but it's 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 a really interesting story about these two families and how some couple of the parents marry one another and and the, how the kids and the siblings um, of those two families have grown up and interacted over the years and I'm kind of just getting started still but it, that, that's been really interesting. I've read a couple of Ann Hatchett's other novels I read Del Canto and another one I can't remember. But I, I love her writing. It's very beautiful prose. And so so it's, it's been fun so far.
0: Yeah, I loved Commonwealth. I read that in like one or two sittings on vacation a couple of years ago, and it's fantastic. So I would echo your recommendation. I also would recommend that listeners check out your book, Shauna, Must Love Books. Now I've been recommending this to all of the readers in my life because it is truly a book for book lovers it's a book about books it's a book about the book business what it's really like i said this to you before we started recording but i do think for me and based on my personal experience working in publishing like this is probably like the most accurate representation of what it's actually like to work at a big publisher um, that i've come across so very very well done there what else can you tell us about must love books
1: Um, Well, thank you for the kind words. Yeah, I wanted to portray um, publishing in maybe a different light than how it's been portrayed previously. I think often it's just a a fun setting um, for for a lot of characters. And I wanted to show the the unfun side and how it's not just like dreamy manuscripts and having lunch with your favorite authors. It can just be very soul crushing. And in this case, the main character, Nora, is working at a publisher that's kind of struggling and they've cut her pay which was already low to begin with and she can't survive and so she secretly takes a second job in publishing but is struggling with some depression and some pretty serious feelings as she tries to navigate like what to do next now that this thing that she thought was her dream job working in publishing is not a dream job, which was something I was very much feeling when I was in my 20s and working in publishing because I felt like I was supposed to work towards this goal. And once I got this job in publishing, everything would be perfect. And then suddenly it becomes, what do you do next when this thing you've been working towards your whole life, it turns out to not be a good fit for you?
0: I'm nodding. I'm nodding. I'm nodding. Shauna, we should have gone to lunch back <laughs> when we were both in our 20s and working in publishing. Yeah. I think what is really special about must love books is it shows like the passion of book people in the industry and that like you just want to be part of the world. Like you want to work in books because you love books, but there are these other factors that get in the way and like how do you reconcile those two things? So I would recommend that book. I will make sure to link it in the show notes for this episode. Listeners, go check it out. Sean, it has been so fun chatting with you. Thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Thank you so much. It was such a Fun to re- revisit this book. And I, I love your podcast in general. I've listened to it several episodes, um, and it's just such a blast. So thank you for your podcast. Thanks for having me on it.
0: Thank you. Bye.
1: Bye.
0: SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast.